Shegilola Salami, and it's the Shegilola Salami show, a virtual cafe. No, a podcast set in a virtual cafe. I got that wrong. Anywho, so remember the last time I told you about my little present, and I still got a big smile on my face. Um, and last time I did say to people that, you know, well, if you listen to what luck, I'll start again. So recently a guest on my show told me that he didn't like the audio quality of my recording and then he was so kind to get me a new microphone and i feel like i'm all grown up now because i have this microphone that i call the precious but then the last time you know my other guest said you know because it's such a precious microphone that we should give it a name and i couldn't for the life of me think of what i would like to call you know my precious microphone i just feel so grown up right it's a black um blue microphone snowball ice that's what it's called but it looks very it looks very professional i feel like before i know it i'm gonna actually have a professional podcast recording studio so for the time being i've just got a new microphone and my guest said i should ask you guys who's listening to call in or send me a message and tell me what you would like to call my new microphone so i'm waiting for you guys to come and then hopefully soon we will have a new name so my email address is shagilola at shagilolasalami.co.uk so that is s-e-g-i-l-o-l-a at shagilola then salami s-a-l-a-m-i.co.uk but if you're in doubt just just google me i'm sure google can make up make up my the spelling of my name so yes anywho so i'm going to stop queen about my new microphone because it's so precious who have i got here with me my name is brooke sprawl i'm the founder and clinical director of my la therapies i'm a psychotherapist with 10 years of experience specializing in anxiety depression trauma couples relationships and dating oh hello brooke you're the first psychotherapist i'm having in the cafe oh wow how exciting i know how are you where are you based Uh, i'm in los angeles in santa monica specifically california santa monica wait i'm just trying there was a program as a child that i used to watch and i'm trying to think was that santa monica or santa is that is there santa barbara uh it's about an hour and a half south of santa barbara it's Pretty much any time you see a TV show with a beach scene um, that's shot in LA, it's in Santa Monica. You'll see like the Ferris wheel on the pier in the background. And mm. uh, yeah, that's where I am. Oh, cool. So what, it's a virtual cafe. What can I get you? I would like a steamed milk with some vanilla in it, please. You're not very demanding. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to cut out caffeine I'm, as I've been learning more about the research on... Uh, inflammation and mental health i've been on a strict diet it's very not fun (laughs) (laughs) well you know i say to myself we're going to die of something anyway so i cannot (laughs) my hot chocolate i refuse to give up my hot chocolate for anything you can take everything else away just leave me in my hot chocolate that sounds like a good guilty pleasure it is. It's my only guilty pr- pleasure. Someone said to me, right, that if you don't drink, you do the bedroom business. If you don't do the bedroom business, you do the illegal stuff business. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't do any of these things. But now I realize that my guilty pleasure is my hot 
chocolate. Yeah, it's a very benign vice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can have a hot chocolate several times a day to the extent, right, that my little human, she loves hot chocolate as well because I drank so much hot chocolate when I was pregnant. And then seriously, I had the weirdest thing, right? At 2 a.m. every single night, I had to have scrambled eggs, bagel, and hot chocolate. So now my little human's favorite food is, can I have some scrambled eggs, hot chocolate? Oh my God, that is so cute. My guilty pleasure it has become, to my great shame, The Bachelor. I don't know if you guys have that over there. I've heard of it. Terrible, terrible reality TV show um, that's put on here. And I love to watch it and psychoanalyze all the relational dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always working. <laughs> yeah, but then that sounds, I mean, from what I've heard and I haven't watched it, they are a bit of eye candy, though, aren't they? Oh, there's that. There's definitely that. But uh, for me, I, I'm more interested in, in the defense mechanisms and what we can learn about relationships as we watch the show because the people are just so um, emotionally inept for the most part. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of fun because you see a lot of the qualities that you see in and the people that I'm working with um, as clients in terms of the way that they, the mistakes that they make when they think about relationships. Um, and so I like to kind of use that, uh, use examples from the show to kind of help them. Like one of the, you know, one of the things that the contestants do quite a bit is they'll meet someone and after five minutes they'll go, he is such a good guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thirty damn seconds. You don't know if he's a good guy yet. <laughs> so there's a, a real naivete about you know, kind of the process of getting to know someone and how long that takes to to really um, kind of find out someone's character. And most of the time, they're burned by this uh, <laughs> this assessment. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Though, see, I give up trying to know someone, right? Because I feel like no matter you can never really know someone because I feel like sometimes even when people are dead, you can still find out stuff about them and you think, what? I didn't know that about this person. Yeah, one of my favorite lines of poetry of all time is E.E. Uh, e. Cummings in I Carry, I think it's called I Carry My Heart. It's the name of the poem. Um, and he says something about a tree that grows higher than soul can hope and mind can hide. And I thought that was such a powerful uh, image because those are the two kind of greatest expanses, you know, the, the height to which soul can, can hope and the depth to which mind can hide. I just, I thought that was a really profound kind of idea. Oh, okay, cool. Um, okay, so where, where was this, where is this poem published? Oh, this is an old E.E. E. Cummings poem. He's a famous, uh, famous poet. Mm, so has it been published somewhere or is it just sort of random? Oh, where would you yeah. get it? Yeah, I mean, you could get it anywhere. He's he's an old poet, but I don't I don't know what who published or. Okay, so it's not like in a poetry book or you know in a in a play and part of a poem or anything like that. It's in a poetry book, but I don't know which one. Um, and I'm sure you could find it online. Yes. Tell me, what was his name again? Did you say E. E. Something? E. e. Cummings. E. E. Cummings. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, okay, good. So, right. So why are you here? This is the first time I've actually asked anyone this. Why are you here? Why am I here? So um, I, I'm kind of trying to promote my book that is hopefully soon to be published. It's called Why You Should Date Emotionally Unavailable Men. That is quite interesting. 
see what you see, right? I'm going to tell you a story. And I don't feel like I should say this story because then it's like, you know, it's really personal stuff. But, you know, seeing we're all friends here and, you know, hopefully nobody knows me. Well, actually, no, I don't know. See, sometimes I think people who are in my real life, they don't take me seriously. Like they don't take the virtual cafe seriously. So I hope none of them ever comes in here, right? But, you know, so there's this guy that I knew once, you know, he he's possibly one of the most amazing persons um human beings that i've ever i've ever met and the story of how we met you know is something out of a fairy tale it is so out of this world but when you were talking about this it then sort of i eventually found out that he's got something called dissociative identity disorder oh uh, i know that's, that's not a that's very uncommon but yeah. yeah um you know sue so, and then i was having a conversation with a friend of mine and she was saying that you know she once dated a person who's also got like split personality and it just made it really extremely difficult to want to date you know to date him um and so you know you meet these people and you think oh my god this person is so amazing but then you just found out find out that oh they're not Right. Well, yeah, it's, that's really interesting. You know, that's formerly known as multiple personality disorder is the name that most people know this yeah. by, but changed it, I think, because of some of the characterizations of, of it that were, you know, sort of um, caricaturistic in the media and in, and in television. But, um, you know, I'm certainly the, uh, it's interesting how we can have these intense, incredible connections with people, but quite often that's, you know, the early stages, uh, people are bringing forth a different side of themselves and they're not necessarily showing you the, their whole selves. And it can be a rude awakening as you kind of progress in a relationship and see that the person you thought you knew isn't the person that you're actually dating. Yeah, no, it is, right? Um, you know, seriously, right? Like, you know, and it's just literally, this just came to mind, you know, when you were talking, you know, when you were talking about and talking about people who are emotionally um, unavailable, because sometimes the people that you think you like aren't actually the people that you like, and they're someone completely different. But right. anyways, tell me about your book. How is it? I, I'm, I'm hijacking your book. I talk too much. Oh, no, you're fine. So uh, why you should date emotionally unavailable men. The idea is that at least um, over here in America, we have this concept of the emotionally unavailable man. He's a jerk. You know, you need to walk away. You're a goddess. And there's a lot of problems with this mentality. Um, the first problem is that what happens is women walk away from relationships before they're ready and before they've learned what they actually need to learn from the relationship. And then they end up getting back together and breaking up again. And it actually ends up prolonging the process because they're not actually just surrendering to the relationship and to the lessons that the relationship has to teach them about themselves and their own blind spots. Uh, so that's one problem. Or they also alternatively will just get together with a new guy and have all the same problems. So as long as we're scapegoating men, and again, this can go to both genders. It's not necessarily women to men, but you know, this is the, the reason I talk about it in those pronouns is because uh, these messages are primarily targeted at women. Um, but you know, it can, anybody of any gender can, can experience these dynamics in relationships. 
Um, but so, so women end up leaving relationships before they really learned what they need to learn about themselves, and then they can't break their own patterns. Uh, we also, you know, over here in America, there's this, you know, like I said, you're a goddess, he should treat you like a queen. And it's actually a very narcissistic mentality. Um, and real deep lasting relationships um, can't be based on narcissism, games, you know, manipulation. They have to be based on vulnerability and, and real intimacy. And so this kind of entitlement attitude that we bring to relationships is really damaging. Um, and it really pushes men away. And the very things that um, you know women object to in their quote emotionally unavailable men, they are often creating through their behaviors. So I try to use the book to help women see how they may be unintentionally pushing men into this role of being unavailable when really both people co-create that dynamic. They're both unavailable in different ways. Um, and it's really important. And, and quite often when one person changes, the other person changes too. Uh, if you have a, a kind of guy who's a good guy at heart, he's just, you know, working on some things and, and not incredibly emotionally mature, you know, when you come to the relationship in a more vulnerable way, usually he meets you there. Um, alternatively, if you are able to do that and he can't, that gives you the clarity you need. You start to actually experience the relationship differently because you're no longer playing into the tug of war that keeps the drama of these kinds of relationships alive. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Remind me, what's the title of your book again? Why You Should Date Emotionally Unavailable Men, Use Your Unhealthy Relationships to Transform. Okay. And did you use your name to publish it or did you use a pen name? Yes, I've used my name. Okay. What was your, what's your name? Brooke Sproul. How do you spell your last name? S-P-R-O-W-L. Brooke Sproul. Okay. So how to date on emotionally available how to date emotionally unavailable men by Brooke Sproul. Correct. Yes. And Perfect. you can find more information on that on my website as well. What's your website? mylatherapy.com. Okay, fine. So your book is sounding so amazing, right? Um, are you able to read from it for us for a bit? Sure, with the caveat that it has not been professionally edited quite yet. So I hope that, uh, I hope that it, it, it reads as well as, I, <laughs> as I'd like it to. Um, when you read it out, though, it might give you tips on what you need to edit. Yeah, but it's a little vulnerable, but I got to practice but what I preach with vulnerability, right? Uh, so this is the foreword to the book. Some of you may be reading this book out of desperation, and I think that is a wonderful place to be. In the words of J.K. Rowling, rock bottom is the solid ground on which I built my life. Your darkest and most hopeless moment is the moment you are finally willing to make the painstaking and life-altering changes that you need. In desperation, you say, I've finally had enough. There's no choice but to do something different. When the pain of avoiding your greatest fears outweighs the pain of facing them, a profound transformation begins. Standing at the crossroads, you see two paths. One is the path of perpetual avoidance in which you spin your wheels without gaining traction. Avoiding dealing with your pain prolongs it. It gradually accumulates, becoming increasingly unbearable. The second path is also painful, but it's the kind of pain that results that is the result of healing, like setting a bone. 
By failing to set a, vo a bone, you avoid the sharp and acute pain of that forceful blow. But in the long run, you never heal and the infirmity will become chronic. Terrifying as it is, when you face the immediate pain necessary for healing, there is finally hope. When you deal with your pain in this way, it moves you forward and is gradually offset by the experience of growth, change, and peace. Your pain is trying to teach you something. It's trying to tell you to listen and pay attention. We're not taught to deal with pain in our culture. We're taught to avoid, deny, and cover it up. We don't have many role models. Our parents, friends, and partners are usually just as clueless as we are. Our culture teaches us to put a smile on it. We learn that pain is weakness, and if we just have enough willpower and perform the right sequences of behavior, we can make it go away. What a wasted gift pain then becomes. All its precious wisdom and power fall by the wayside as we frantically endeavor to run from it. By contrast, when listened to and ushered in, pain is incredible at pointing out with precision exactly where what we are doing is ineffective. Its lessons come with an unparalleled power imprinted in ways that are not easily forgotten as those of the mind. Though working as, uh, through working as an individual, couples, and family therapist for over 10 years and navigating my own personal journey in therapy, I've learned a great deal about pain. How we face pain is one of the single greatest determinants of the quality of our lives. It affects every aspect, large and small. It determines who we marry, how we spend our time, and how we feel about ourselves on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. It affects everything from the way we raise children to the way we deal with problems at work. So the question becomes, how do you deal with your pain? If you're reading this book, you may be using your relationships as a way to cover up inner pain, perhaps without even knowing it. Maybe the pain is front and center for you. Maybe you're not even aware it's there. You may or may not be aware of how your relationships factor in, but you probably find the pain waiting at the end when another relationship ends, when you find yourself alone again, and when you feel an emptiness in your life that no one else can fill. I know that territory well. For the past 10 years, I've watched people transform their lives through facing their fears and dealing with their pain differently. This can be a decision as small as turning off the TV to really sit with your feelings or as monumental as walking away from a marriage that's hurting you. It can be as simple as taking time out for an evening walk and as complicated as scrapping your career and starting a business from scratch. Changing the way you deal with pain can mean going out on a blind date or taking a break from dating entirely. There's no one way to do it. It's about listening. What's right for you one day may entirely may be entirely wrong for you the next. What's mo most important is tuning in to your ever-changing needs on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, listening to yourself even when you're not lining up with the ideal you have in your head, and honoring your feelings even when you hate them, especially then. When you change the dynamic inside of you, everything else changes organically as a result. Imagine you own a company that uses plaster molds to create toys. If there's a defect in your mold, uh, it affects each and every toy your company makes. How do you solve the problem? Do you hire a horde of workers after the fact to correct the deformity in each toy one by one? Or do you go back and invest the time, money, and effort in carefully reshaping the original mold? When examining our pain, our problems, and our relationships with ourselves, the same principle applies. 
you may have a list of things you'd like to improve, low self-esteem, issues at work, or relationship problems. A prescriptive approach looks at these troubles individually, analyzes them separately, and comes up with different solutions for each. This is only a superficial solution. It's the same approach as the toy company continually making deformed toys and fixing them one by one after the fact, rather than investing in a new mold. If we take the time and attention to create a new mold, our resources are no longer primarily allocated to error correction, and we can use those resources to fork it to focus on higher level aspects of our business. When all of our resources are not sapped by the drag created by broken, system, by broken systems, astronomical growth is possible and new possibilities begin to emerge. Our relationship with ourselves is the mold through which every experience in our lives is formed. If that mold is broken, we perpetually suffer in many or all areas of our lives. Our limited energy will be devoted to trying to fix each problem one after another, plugging one hole only to find another leak spring up. Conversely, creating a new mold, a new relationship with ourselves will touch every aspect of our lives. It affects not only what is happening with our lives right now, but also every decision we will make in the future. It dictates the path our lives will take. This is why I'm writing this book. Romantic relationships are one of the best windows we have into seeing our relationship with ourselves clearly because so much of what happens between two people is a result of forces that are beyond our awareness. Our, struggle, our relationship struggles and successes are always a reflection of what is going on within our minds and hearts, whether we know it or like it or not. As such, our relationships can be an invaluable tool for growth and self-examination. Healing our romantic relationships is a big part of healing our relationship with ourselves. In the same way doctors use symptoms to assess a patient's root problems uh, and the course of treatment, we can use relationships as a guide to see where we need inner healing. Many people see a breakup as the solution to problems in relationships. Of course, sometimes breakups are necessary and can lead to growth. But co contrary to popular belief, to break up with someone can sometimes be a way to avoid dealing with the deeper issues we face when we look, when looking at ourselves inward. Through uh, throwing the mold out doesn't solve the problem with the broken toy. Rather, we have to do the painstaking work of getting to the heart of the problems and making the necessary alterations. While that doesn't happen by simply changing our behavior, our behavior can be used as a window through which we see the underlying problems in our relationships with ourselves. The defects in the toys can help us point to what needs to change in the mold. I'm writing this book because I have tr radically transformed the way I deal with pain and relationships. I've seen the inner peace and joy that comes as a result of loving yourself and the abundance it creates in the world around you. It feels like I'm a I'm living in a completely different world than I used to because I'm a completely different person. Excuse me. It feels like I'm living in a completely different world than I used to because I'm a completely different person. And it's not just a difference in perception or perspective. When you change, the world around you actually changes. When you're insecure, you make yourself small. You want to stay in your comfort zone so you don't have to risk having your ego bruised or being uncomfortable. And often even the risks you take or for the wrong reasons. When you're insecure, the cues you send often drive people off, even when you're trying to draw them in. You react defensively to other people's defenses. 
rather than finding grace and compassion. You create friendships and relationships with people who have similar or complementary insecurities, which further perpetuate your distorted lens of viewing yourself and others. The world gets smaller and smaller. You feel alone. When you begin to love yourself deeply, pain and all, your world gets bigger. You begin to open yourself up to different experiences and people. You find compassion and grace for other people's shortcomings and defenses because you found them for your own. You're not threatened by failure and rejection, so you, you're not a slave to the limitations of protecting your ego. You begin to attract different people and different people are attracted to you. You find that every day is different and your horizons continue to expand. When I was 26, I couldn't get a date. I'm now 34 and I seem to get asked out almost every week by better quality men. I'm not getting any younger. I used to tell myself I couldn't get a date because I wasn't attractive enough or because all the LA guys were single and shallow or all the good ones were taken. I've experienced the pain, self-doubt, and loneliness that arises from that kind of thinking firsthand. And I've also experienced the transformation that comes when we begin to look inwardly at the barriers we have built against love rather than blaming our circumstances, our men, or what we lack. I look forward to guiding you into a new way of relating to yourself and others. And in doing so, I invite you into a new way of being. Well, that's my foreword. That sounds quite interesting. Thank you. So when are you publishing it or when is it going to be out? I'm hoping in the next few months, but it's unfortunately, I don't have a date just yet. Okay, that's fine. But it does sound quite interesting though. Um, yeah, it does. It's just one of those ones where you just sort of listen and you go, oh, it was sort of almost like I was in your head and just sort of seeing things how you were seeing things. Oh, good. Then I've done my job as a writer. Uh, yes, unfortunately, it's not published, um, but I will have an Amazon pre-order uh, page and I do have a book landing page on my website uh, where you can sign up to be notified um, of publication if you are interested. Okay. Or you know what you could do? Since you don't have a proper publication date, you could do when you put the Amazon pre-order page, what you could do is you could give yourself a target and say six months from now, it should be available, right? And that gives you more than enough time to get everything else you need to do sorted. That's a great idea. So that sounds like a plan. So six months from now, it will be available. Um, you know, and then that just gives you sometimes having targets, you know, um, to work towards can be all the motivation um, you need. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of, you know, I'm working with some agents and publishers right now and I don't know what their timeline is you know I could publish it in the next month if it if I were to self-publish it but I don't really know what the process of publication is so um you can always take it out if your publisher doesn't you know things can be taken off publication anyway anytime and it's just you putting it so that people can find out more about your book you know so that it's there and yeah. anyone who's interested can literally go and pre-order it depending when, you know, um, you know, it's going to be available. And if, you know, if you find a publisher and they don't want it, you can always take it off publication. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. that's good advice. Thank you. No, that's, that's my pleasure. Um, okay. So, you know, I've got to go and pick my little girl from nursery. She's normally always with me, but you know, she's just at that stage now where she doesn't really have my time anymore. I dropped her off at nursery today. She didn't even look back. I was like, what? No, no. Bye mommy. She was like, oh yes, yeah, sorry. Bye mommy. It's like, she doesn't, I just, I'm feeling really unloved now. 
So I've just got Aww. to go and pick up my unloving child, you know, who, who went to nursery and didn't even look back at me to say, bye, mommy, have a good day, mommy, you know, nothing at all. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated being here and uh, the, uh, the steamer was delicious. And um, let me know, uh, yeah, let me know if uh, you'd like to, to have another coffee date sometime soon. Yes, of course. That's my pleasure. What if we do? So if you put your book for six months time, then let's say a month afterwards, so month seven, you can come around and tell us how the book has been doing. Yeah, or, or if it's if published. You get a, or if you get a publisher, you can tell us how you, know, how you found your publisher and talk us through the steps you took to get your publisher. Oh, that's a great idea. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So remind us again, if people wanted to connect with you, how can they do that? The best way to get all of my information and learn about me and my book is mylatherapy.com. So M-Y-L-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, mylatherapy.com. And uh, you can find my, uh, my bio, my specializations, um, information about the book, my team, my company, all sorts of information about depression, anxiety, relationships, mental health, um, and just get to know about our services and, and mental health stuff. And we'll be starting a video blog with a lot of helpful information about dating and relationships, anxiety and depression. Also starting a Facebook Live and Instagram Live uh, broadcast that where you can call me and ask me questions and advice. Um, and that those are all great ways uh, for people to get to know me and, and learn more. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, oh, yeah, I'll be on my, my LA therapy Facebook page. So that would be, if you want to add me on Facebook, my LA therapy, um, you can, that that's the best way to get in touch and, uh, tune into the broadcast. Fabulous. Well, my LA therapist, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, but I'm going to have to kick you out now because I need to go pick up the little human. And to everyone else who's been listening, it's been an absolute pleasure as always having you listen to me go on and on and on, especially as I have a new precious. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't do that, but I really love, I love my new precious microphone. It's like the most precious thing ever, right? And this is the first gift that anyone's given to me in ages, right? I should really be thanking my author guest. What was his name again? I shouldn't say that. Toby Weston. He was the one who got it to me, right? So if, you, if you're on Amazon, go and search for Toby Weston to say thank you for giving Shekilala a new microphone that she's been cooing about all the time. Uh, but yes, until next time is the Shekilala Salami Show. And I will catch you out later. And remember, if you have a name for my microphone, please do let me know. Bye now.